We are all purposed, molded by the hands of our Creator. We all have different passions and callings, but we are, in a way, the same. We are all created for connection. We are made for deep, vulnerable, intimate relationships with one another, to sharpen one another, to learn from one another, and to reach the lost with the love of Jesus. This is discipleship. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, discipleship is our common purpose. We are all made for it. Watching that video every time, just because it's a it's a fresh reminder of really how God has made us, and you know whether or not you've ever worked with pottery before, clay, just the imagery of actually we are in the hands of our Maker, and God being the one that shapes us and makes us, and not just in the shaping design, but also in our purpose, whether it's a pitcher or a bowl or something else, that He has the creativity and the wisdom to shape us, but for there to be something specific that we're intended to do. And, you know, um, this series called Made For It, it really is about discipleship. And, you know, we've talked the last couple of weeks that discipleship may be this kind of cool buzzword, you know, that we kind of know about. And I, I, think, I think many people in church or believers, Christians would say, oh, man, I love discipleship or I like the idea of it, you know. Um, just like we may say, hey, I'd I love prayer. I like the idea of it. I'm just not really sure what to do. <laughs> I'm not really sure how it actually works out practically. And I think uh, what we just saw in our church was, hey, there's a fresh uh, desire and there's a need for us to kind of circle back around and say, hey, the main thing that we are about is about discipleship. But, we've, uh, but I think every one of us needs clarity, right? We need help in figuring out what that is. So that's what today is about. We're here in week three of this series, and the first week we talked about Jesus calling disciples to himself and how he called them to him, or there's uh, Peter, Andrew, John, others, he called them to himself, says that they dropped their nets or stopped what they were doing and started following him. And just for us to remember, man, Jesus, when he calls us, that's an invitation for us to follow him. And um, the disciples probably didn't know, which maybe we don't know at times, is a call to follow Jesus does mean surrendering to our old life, you know, and that's not easy, right? Like Jesus said, the way is narrow and hard that leads to life, but the way is broad and easy that leads to destruction. And Jesus called disciples into a narrow way that was challenging. Oh, but man, it's so rewarding. 
and is so life-giving. That's what he's calling us into again. So we talked about that. And then last week we talked about peer discipleship. I kind of showed you this graphic. I think we got it. But it just talks about four types of discipleship here at Antioch that we've kind of pulled together to define kind of if you were to say, well, what is discipleship? Um, you know, we, we, we want to not, we kind of want to give everybody a framework as to what is it exactly. So we talked about peer discipleship and the main purpose is for accountability, encouragement, and sharpening and talked about that last week. But then today we're going to be talking about mentoring discipleship, really the main purpose being uh, spiritual mentoring and input, right? So we're going to unpack that today. But I just want you to know if you miss about peer discipleship, if you're wondering, hey, how do I get into peer discipleship? Like, how can I practically be a part of that? What we would say here at Antioch is your first step is actually to go be part of a life group, right? So if you're a college student, whether it's your first time in a while, I would encourage you to get into a life group. And then in a life group is where those peer discipleship relationships form. And all you have to do is go into life group and say, hey, I'd like to do discipleship. <laughs> Anybody else? And people say, sure, let's do it, right? And then you'll start meeting together, groups of three or four, for the purpose of accountability, encouragement, and sharpening. Amen? So no matter whether you're a college student or family, come to life group at 1803, Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. We'll get you connected with people to start discipleship. But we want to be clear that at Antioch Community Church, our main thing is discipleship. That's our main thing. Not the only thing, that's our main thing. And we say that because we believe that was Jesus' main thing. His main thing was discipleship. Not the only thing, but the main thing. So that's what we want to focus on. So today we're going to talk about mentoring discipleship. And, you know, I want to start off with just kind of taking you back in time to some of the most awkward times in my life. You ready? And you're probably going to be able to relate. Seventh grade. Come on. Let's be honest. If you're in seventh grade, we love you. We know it's challenging. We've been there, okay? Seventh grade, all right? Seventh grade is challenging, right? I mean, hormones are kicking in, right? You move on to the school. We don't have to walk like this anymore with your teacher saying, shh, you know, you're like, you're free, like athletics and extracurriculars. You join the band. You join the soccer team. It's like, oh, we, you know, here we go, you know? And so seventh grade, right? Everybody's insecure, just, just go and make the statement, every seventh grader is insecure. I think that is, and so, I don't know why it is, it just is, right? So you're trying to figure out life. When I was in seventh grade, I joined our junior high youth group at our church, right? So if anyone did the junior high youth group thing, I did that. And, and um, you know, just to preface this, I come from a pretty healthy background with the family. My mom and dad are still married. They've been together. Uh, I have an older brother, an older sister. They love me. They care about me. Um, uh, it wasn't that everything was perfect, but on the whole, very healthy family home. Insert me into junior high youth group, and there's this guy, his name's Craig Robinson. And Craig was just a volunteer guy. He was just out of college and single guy, and he chose to volunteer with our, with our junior high youth group. And, you know, from day one, he kind of pulled me in, a couple other guys, and just started hanging out with us. Now, I did not know that he was discipling me. He never used those words, but he was. Here's what the salvation looked like with Craig. He would say, hey, guys, after church, you talk to our parents and stuff. He'd say, hey, do you guys want to go play ultimate frisbee or go play frisbee golf? And we lived in Austin, and so there's lots of frisbee golf courses. So we'd take a pick us up, three or four of us, we'd go play frisbee golf. And for two hours, he would just talk to us. We'd answer, we would, but we're playing frisbee golf. Then he'd take us to go get Double Day's pizza, you know, or hot wings, or whatever. We'd play basketball. It was very rare, ever, ever, 
that we sat down with Craig and just sat and talked to each other because we're seventh grade boys. That just doesn't go very well. But he discipled me. He mentored me. And man, I'm telling you, he never asked, he did not ask uh, anything in return in the sense of he paid for my food, he picked me up, he gave up hours and hours of his time week in and week out. He didn't have to. To some seventh grade squirrely kid because he saw something and he wanted to call it out in me and he wanted to invest in me. He continued on throughout middle school and high school. We kept up. And to this day, I'm 37 years old. There is not another person outside of my immediate family and my wife um, who has invested more in me or had a bigger impact in my life. But can I tell you, it was the most insecure, awkward time of my life. Here's what's real. <laughs> we need mentors. And when we really need them, it's when we're the most difficult to be with. Because that's where the most pain comes in. And if someone is not inserting, inputting truth and life and identity in that season, we spiral, guys. I, I know you agree with me because we've all experienced it. I had good parents. I have good parents. But you know what I needed? I didn't need parents. I didn't need a brother or sister who had those. I needed an in-between. See, a mentor is an in-between. They're not trying to be your mom and dad. They need to be someone that's a step above you, a stage beyond you, someone that's able to spend time with you, speak into your life, and to say, hey, let me know what it's, let me tell you what it's like a few years down the road. Craig was a mentor to me. Let me give you some biblical examples real briefly of mentors in the Bible, right? Exodus 18, you've got the Jethro, uh, who was Moses' father-in-law. He acted as a mentor to Moses after he saw Moses scrambling around trying to deal with everybody. He said, hey, you should raise up some people and power them and help work through the system with the Israelites. Jethro helped him out. Deuteronomy 31, uh, when the Israelites were in the wilderness journey, right? Moses had this kind of young pupil, someone he's mentoring named Joshua, who learned from him, was trained by him, and eventually Moses passed off the mantle of leadership for the Israelites to Joshua, this man that he mentored. First Kings chapter 19, we know the story of Elisha and Elijah, right? Elisha was prepared for his prophetic ministry through his close relationship with the prophet Elijah. And when Elijah was taken up miraculously, which is one of the greatest stories ever, others just him staring there, and then it's like he just goes whoop and up to heaven. That's incredible. Um, when he was taken up, then guess what? The mantle of that prophetic anointing and ministry fell upon um, Elisha, and he gave him a double portion, right? You have the story of Ruth and Naomi, right? Uh, the entire book of Ruth kind of portrays Naomi as a, uh, as, as a mentor to Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law, right? Ruth had such a strong relationship with Naomi that she refused to leave her for any reason. <laughs> Naomi helped Ruth understand the laws and customs. It was like she stuck by her side. One more, Acts chapter 4 and chapter 9, we see this relationship of Paul and Barnabas, right? Barnabas is the one who went and found Paul. Barnabas is the one who mentored Paul. Barnabas is the one who vouched for Paul when everybody else is like, hey, you know, this is that crazy guy. Remember they're trying to throw us in prison and kill us? He's like, no, no, I've met with him. I've discipled him. This guy's legit. He's been vetted, right? Sometimes we need a mentor to stand in the gap on our behalf. Did you know we need that, guys? We need somebody to say, hey, no, 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 I know this guy. I know what he looks like. 
And, and I, know, I know his past, and I know that you're thinking is, hey, we knew that guy in high school. Like, you ever met that friend, you know? You know what I'm talking about. You know it's happened. Right, when you get older, you realize this. You'll be like in your 30s, and you'll see someone that you knew in high school, and you're thinking, that guy was like crazy. And then you hear about him now, you're like, you're a what? How, how did that happen? It's like, oh, people change. Praise God, we can change. You do not have to stay the way you are. Right? You can change for the better. You see, mentoring in many ways, it helps us to fill in the gaps for what we missed in our upbringing. Right? Mentoring helps us to fill in the gaps for what we missed. I have healthy parents. I have a brother who loves me, a sister, but I still had gaps. Right? Like, even from a healthy home, I still had gaps that I needed help with in a mentoring relationship Craig, in that instance, was able to help step in those places when I needed someone to step in that maybe my own brother and my father maybe didn't know what to do or wasn't able to connect with them in that way. He stood in the gap and helped be a mentor to me. So I want to kind of give you four reasons today why we need mentors, okay? So four reasons why we need mentors, all right? The first one is this. Mentors are role models. They're role models, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What is he saying? He's saying imitate my approach to life. Imitate the way that I think, the way that I do, the way that I problem solve, the way that I handle situations. Imitate me, but only to the measure that I'm imitating Christ. Paul's not saying be my exact replicate. Like, he's not saying, be my twin, <laughs> right? Or younger version. He's saying, imitate me in the way I am striving, committing to imitate Christ. It does not say, imitate someone just because they're a cool person or a hero. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But I just want to back up and read you the few verses leading up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Because remember... The Bible was assembled, put together, and they put chapters and verses on it so it would help people like us actually find out where was that? Oh, chapter 4, verse whatever. When the letter was written, Paul did not write a letter to the Corinthian church with chapters and verses. He wrote a letter. And so you had to read the whole thing to get the whole context, right? Which is why it's helpful for us as a side note to, when we read the Bible, read the entire letter. Don't do it in one sitting, but just commit to, like, read the whole thing, right? Like, read the entire gospel of John or Mark. Don't just read portions. Read the whole thing. Then you can go back and study portions. But if you don't have the whole picture, you can get real irked or misguided real quick because you don't know how the whole thing ends, right? Especially Paul. I mean, you just insert yourself in one of Paul's letters. It's like, this guy was a jerk. That's what you're thinking. You're like, he is harsh. But it's like, no, no, you didn't read the beginning, you didn't read the end. You, you missed, you just picked out the part that, you know what I'm saying? So be careful we don't do that as believers. So let me back up. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33, the verses leading up to his statement about being imitators of me. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Then he says, be imitators of me. 
as I am of Christ. Do you see his deep desire? <laughs> he's not saying imitate me because I need a fan club. <laughs> he's not saying imitate me because I need to be liked and loved. He's saying imitate me because I'm in this for his glory and for you to get saved. That's what drives him. What drives him is him and them. That's what drives him to want to imitate his life after Christ. Because the more he does that, the more hope and influence he has to potentially seeing other people give glory to God and give their lives to Jesus. That's his desire. That's his motivation. That's why Paul's such a great leader, because he was motivated to serve his people. He was motivated to serve his God. And that's what drove him in everything that he did. Did you hear what he said? Do it all for the glory of God. Do it all. Hey, you play baseball? Do it all for the glory of God. You gonna eat a steak? Do it for the glory of God. You gonna eat a salad? Do it for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. You're gonna put on clothes. You're gonna go exercise. Do it for the glory of God. Don't don't give me a half effort. We don't like to hear that, do we? But exercising, exercise unto the Lord. Give him the full effort. Yes, it hurts. That's the point. If your exercising never causes you any cramping, you're not really exercising. There should be some cramping. There should be some soreness. Right? You only get built once you get sore. You, you don't want to see me in the gym with four pounds. Yes. Check it out, Billy. Yes, yes. Let's go. It's like, dude, I'll be doing that for four years before I get anything. It just doesn't work like that. Resistance is what helps us grow. Yeah. Right? Which means we actually have to submit to a king. Say, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? Which is why he called them to complete surrender to him. So the first thing about mentors is... They are role models, but to the extent they are modeling their lives after Christ. Amen? We need mentors, not to be exactly like them, but so that we have people that are, help, that are helping us point back to Jesus. Right? So a mentor should not have the final say. If someone shares advice with you, let's just take dating for a moment, and you're seeking out, you know, a married couple. Just side note, dating advice is best from people who have already dated and gotten married. I know we forget that one. I did it too in college. Hey, bro, so what do you think about this girl? I don't know. We're like eating pizza. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, we don't, we're idiots. We don't know what we're talking about. Let's just be honest. Can we just be honest for a second? We all try to seek advice from people who haven't been there and done that. Go to somebody who's actually been there and proven it. It's like, oh. Like, talk to the guy that's actually started a company and survived after a decade. You want to be an entrepreneur? Talk to him first. Right? So we're not, we're not trying to be exactly like the person. We're trying to learn from them. And so, you know, my, my concern sometimes when it comes to this idea is that we are, um, we are unwilling to learn from those that have gone before us uh, and to accept them as a role model, learn from them, because simply they're not like us, maybe, right? Um, Maybe they don't have the same experience that we have. And that's a lot of us think that. It's like, well, you didn't grow up in the neighborhood I grew up in, or you didn't have the family I had, or you, didn't, you weren't involved in the same types of things in school that I was involved in, so how could you relate to me? How could you speak into that? And I just want to challenge us for a second and say, man, Jesus didn't have this qualification of, hey, I have to, I have, to have been a fisherman and this and that and the other in order to relate to them. Right? Like, like, discipleship by nature is not about having someone that knows everything that you've experienced. It's about them knowing the King of Kings who does wow. and helping you. Yeah. 
I would argue we actually learn really great from people that aren't like us. If you don't learn people that are like you, that's a problem. Because then you only get one perspective and it gets more and more narrow. Does it make any sense? And so, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll, we may not say this, but I think we think this. Well, they don't have the same personality type. All right, I mean, I'm an Enneagram too, and there are seven. That's just not going to work out. I mean, you know we do it subconsciously or out loud. It's like, uh, it's like I mean, I, I, can, I can see it now. You come to life group. Hey, I want to do discipleship. Any, any more twos in the room? Any more twos? Oh, okay, great. Yeah, we can meet together. Any eights? I don't want anything to do with you. Just back You know what I'm saying? I, I know us. That's what we do. We are trying to personality type and create likability scales so that then all listen to you because you look like that, sound like that, act like that, talk like that, come from like that, I'll listen to you. So what we are doing is we're putting conditions on discipleship. Jesus, the only condition he put was, are you hungry? I got something to feed you if you want to eat. You don't want to eat? I don't got nothing for you. Right? So be careful we don't get stuck in those places. And maybe just one last thing before we move on to the next one. It's just if we struggle with the idea of having a mentor, right, or someone in our lives, I would just say there's a reason why. You know, like we've all got pain, guys. Um, There's a reason why maybe you don't trust someone older than you or you don't want to listen to him. And it's probably tied back into some sort of authority breakdown in your life or what your parents did or didn't do or I don't know. But remember, a mentor is not there to replace your mom and dad. They're there to be an in-between, to help walk you through those places. So I just know that I think God's designed us to work things out in relationship. And so, but if you avoid relationship or avoid someone speaking in your life, I don't know how you can grow. You've got to invite that in. And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. And, it's, and, and it's, it's, you're nervous, right? It's like it's a vulnerable place to say, hey, I would like to learn from you. It's a little bit, it's being humble, Right, but but when we're when we're prideful, we don't want to learn from anybody, unless it's on our terms. That's called pride, by the way. Right, if it's I will only learn on my terms. That's not the way the kingdom is built. The second reason why we need mentors in our lives is because we need mentors because they will believe in you. That's what they do. Mentoring discipleship means that they believe in you. 2 Corinthians 10, 8, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Now, to give context, Paul is writing this to the Corinthian church again in a second letter, and they have been accusing him of all sorts of things. This is Paul, right, who helped establish the church there and discipled people and loved them and sacrificed his life and, you know, risked his neck multiple times to plant churches and love people, right? And they're coming back at him, and he says, listen, the authority that God has given me in your life as a father to you guys, he gave it to me so I can build you up. That's all I'm doing. I am building you up, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not tearing you down. I'm here to build you up, to love you, to call the gold out in you. Have you ever thought how many incredible singers are out there that when they were younger, they probably didn't know they could sing very good. And their confidence was like low. And then it took one person saying, hey, did you know you can sing? Yeah. And they're like, really? Me? I mean, that's like one of the best moments ever. 
It's like, hey, dude, did you know you're actually pretty fast? Really? Did you know you're actually pretty smart? Did you actually know you're really great with people? Really? Yeah, every time I see you, everyone's just laughing. They just love to hear your stories. Like, oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I love calling the goal down people. Because if you are a human being and you are alive today, guess what? I don't, even if you don't know God or believe in God, by design, God put something in you that he is purposing to call out and develop and shape over your life. There is gold in there. The problem is many times we don't see it. So sometimes you need a mentor to speak in and say, listen, I want to call that out in you. you got a great voice. Really? Yeah. I've seen a lot of voices. you got a good one. We need mentors in our lives to believe in us. And I know in a room this size that some of us have not had people believe in us in quite some time. They've discredited you, or maybe it was family that didn't believe in you or didn't get behind you, or coworkers or friends that just think that whatever. You need someone to believe in you. You need someone to call the gold out and say, no, 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 what I see is amazing. And, and, and they're really not blowing smoke. They're serious about it. Like, that's what you need. And that's why you need the Spirit of God to help you discern as a mentor to see that and say, no, no, I see something you can't see yet, but I see it. You know, that's what a father's supposed to do with his son. I know you feel like a kid, but hey, one day you'll be a man. Let me call things out in you, though. We need mentors to believe in us. I love the relationship between Paul and Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. It says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You've heard that verse before, probably many of you. But 2 Timothy 2, 2 is this model of if I invest in you, I'm expecting you to go invest in someone else and you invest in somebody else. If I disciple you, you disciple them, you disciple them. That's how this church exists today, just so you know. 2,000 years ago, it started with Jesus making disciples. They chose to make more disciples. They chose to make more disciples. And Paul, in this instance, chose to invest not just in his peers, but in young men up and coming and believing in them. His greatest desire, in many ways, I believe, with Timothy, was that Timothy would surpass him. Like, that is a true mentor. I want you to be a better basketball player than I ever was. I want your marriage to be better than mine ever has been. I want you to be the gold standard. I want you to be a successful entrepreneur, learn from mistakes. I hope that you crush it. Like, a mentor says, I believe in you, not I'm competing with you. That's the difference. A mentor is not competing. They're believing. And that's a really big difference, guys. And you need to know that, that mentoring discipleship, someone that says, I believe in you, man. I'm not just trying to shame you or tell you how you are so young and naive. I'm not doing that. I will call you out in places to where you think everything's just like this. It's like Disney. It's not like that. You know, there's real stuff happening. But I believe in you. We need mentors to believe in us. The third thing is this. Why do we need mentors? Because they provide perspective. They provide perspective. This is simply someone who's been there, done that. (laughs) We've heard it before, right? But... I think just to acknowledge again, I think this day and age, we really need people to provide perspective. Um, just go back in time. It could have been just like a year ago for some of us, but it could have been years ago for others. Go back to high school dating just for a second. We're bringing up dating again, okay? So high school dating. It may not be you. You don't have to admit to anything, but maybe a friend of yours or an acquaintance. Let's just say this scenario played out sophomore year. We're dating, 
we go to prom together or we, or we have homecoming. We ask her on the dance, whole dealy. We go get coffee a couple times. She breaks up with me. Devastated. Go to mom and dad. I'm not worth anything. No one loves, you know, or, or the girl. It's just unraveled, you know, doesn't show up to school for a week, calls in sick. Just, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's just like the emotional obliteration. It's just, I don't know, no, no. wow, you know. It's like, okay, you do that amongst all your friends, you're all wailing together, right? This is terrible. Life is over. It's not worth it, you know. And what you need is a mentor to say, hey, just calm down. Most sophomore dating relationships don't go past sophomore year. Perspective. Fact. I mean, there's only so many people I actually am aware of in my life that dated in high school that are married. It's a really short list. Very short. I mean, if you want the odds game, just don't date in high school. I'm trying to help you guys out. Huh? Uh, okay, let's do it. Just for, all right, come on. Who's married to someone that dated in high school? Raise your hand. Okay, right here. We got one. Great, two. Great, all right. Now, here we go. Whose parents are, like, got married because they met in high school? Okay, there we go. Right, okay, so we're talking two generations. We're like around 10%. So there you go. High school dating success rate, 10%. We just, <laughs> you don't have to look it up on any polling data. We just did it right here. All right. So, guys, in all honesty, we just need perspective. You know what I'm saying? We need perspective. We can blow things out of proportion. We tend to do that as people. But when you have a mentor say, hey, dude, calm down. It's going to be okay. They're like, oh, really? <laughs> and you don't shame them for it. Of course, we're, we're all crazy and emotional when we're young. It's just it's the way it is. I don't know why. You know, that's, why that's why zeal comes before wisdom. It just does. Right? It's not, we're not like wise and then zealous. It's like it's the other way around. That, that zeal essentially is, oh, okay, now we get perspective, right? Mentors provide perspective. All right, number four. Here we go. This is one we're going to land on here. Mentors are mothers and fathers in the Lord, right? Mentoring discipleship, think about spiritual mothers and fathers. Don't, don't think age right now. Don't think, well, my parents are 47. I need to find a 47-year-old guy. <laughs> I know some of you already, you already thought about that. You calculated that out. That's what I'm talking about. Spiritual mothers and fathers. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4.15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You have a lot of guides. You got a lot of counselors. You got a lot of people out there talking. You don't have many fathers. You know, there's a story I want to read to you. Um, happened years ago. You can look it up. It's about um, some things that happened at a national park in South Africa. It's at the Kruger National Park. Um, some years ago, officials at the park in South Africa were faced with a growing elephant problem. The population of African elephants, once endangered, had grown larger than the park could sustain. So measures had to be taken to thin the ranks. A plan was devised to relocate some of the elephants to other African game reserves. And being enormous creatures, obviously, elephants are not easily transported. So a special harness was created to airlift the elephants and fly them out of the park using helicopters. The helicopters were up to the task, 
But as it turned out, the harness wasn't. It could handle, don't, don't get discouraged. No elephants died. <laughs> I, I just, it happened last service too. <clears throat> it could handle the juvenile and adult female elephants, but not the huge African bull elephants. A quick solution had to be found, so a decision was made to leave the much larger adult males at Kruger National Park and relocate only some of the female elephants and the juvenile younger males. The problem was solved. The herd was thinned out, and all was well at Kruger National Park. Sometime later, however, a strange problem surfaced out south, at South Africa's other game reserve, which is Plantersburg National Park, where all the elephants were moved to. Rangers at the park began finding the dead bodies of endangered white rhinos. At first, poachers were suspected, but the huge rhinos had not died of gunshot wounds, and their precious horns were left intact. The rhinos appeared to be killed violently, with deep puncture wounds. Not much in the wild can kill a rhino, so rangers set up hidden cameras through the park to figure out what was going on. The result was shocking. The culprits turned out to be marauding bands of aggressive juvenile male elephants. The very elephants relocated from Kruger National Park a few years earlier. The young males were caught on camera chasing down rhinos, knocking them over, and stomping and goring them to death with their tusk. The juvenile elephants were terrorizing other animals in the park as well. Such behavior was very rare among elephants. Something had gone terribly wrong. Some of the park rangers settled on a theory. What would have been missing from the relocated herd was the presence of the large dominant bulls that remained at Kruger. In natural circumstances, the adult bulls provided modeling behaviors for younger elephants, keeping them in line. Juvenile male elephants, Dr. Horn pointed out, experience must, a state of frenzy triggered by mating season and increase in testosterone. Normally, dominant bulls manage and contain the testosterone-induced frenzy in the younger males. Left without elephant modeling, the rangers theorized the younger elephants were missing the civilizing influence of their elders as nature intended. To test the theory, the rangers constructed a bigger and stronger harness, then flew in some of the older bulls left behind at Kruger. Within weeks, the bizarre and violent behavior of the juvenile elephants stopped completely. The older bulls let them know that their behaviors were not elephant-like at all. In a short time, younger elephants were following the older and more dominant bulls around while learning how to be elephants. Now, obviously, I'm not sharing that story with you just to talk about elephants. This is our society right now, right here. This is the church right now. Whether you're men or women, we have young people that have no mothers and fathers in the Lord. They don't have any spiritual mentoring. And so left up to themselves, they do stupid things. They do things that are illogical, unbiblical. They hurt people. They do stuff that in the right mind you're thinking, how could anyone do that? But even these park rangers were totally taken aback at the shocking behavior of young males goring rhinos. It just didn't happen. But it happens when they're left to themselves. You know, um, a former U.S. ambassador, Patrick Moynihan, back in the 70s, wrote this. He wrote a big article on society and kind of what was happening, and he said this. A community that allows a large number of young men to grow up in broken homes, 
dominated by women, never acquiring any stable relationship to male authority, never acquiring any rational expectations for the future, that community asks for and gets chaos. He had traveled the world and been in different cultures from Europe to Africa to Asia and saw the common theme. <laughs> when there are not fathers in the house, when there are not fathers in the community and the church, the entire society suffers. I'm not saying mentors need to be your mom or dad or replace that, but they can help fill in the gaps. They can help step in even after the fact and start buffeting some of the things. They can help us to de-dramatize situations in life, right? Where they can look at us and say, get a grip. It's going to be okay. You know, um, my sons both play baseball. And um, just this last weekend, actually yesterday, we had a baseball tournament for my son Graham. And um, I'm one of the assistant coaches on the team. So it's a brand new team we have. So they're all playing together. We're playing some teams that are have played for a while, and um, we're, um, we're there at the game, and we play the first game. We do okay. We lost. We did okay, and the second game we play, and they're starting pitcher, this kid. They're, these are nine-year-olds, okay, so this is like their first year pitching for these kids. This is a pretty big kid. I'm like, there's no way the kid's nine, but whatever. Um, <laughs> that's, not, that's not really the point of the story, uh, <laughs> but the kid's big. I mean, he's like the biggest kid at the ballpark. He's pitching, so he gets up there, and you know, and, and our boys are up there starting to bat. And they had done okay the first game. And they're up there. And one by one, I start seeing them. This kid pitches. And they do this. And they call a strike. Do it again. It's over and over. And I'm like, what is going on? The kid pitching was a great kid. He was throwing the ball slower than any other pitcher we'd seen already. The first game, he threw it slower than every kid on that team. But he was big. And so this happens, happens to my son. I'm like, so I started pulling him aside. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Like, I don't know. And I said, that's a big kid, isn't it? He said, yeah. I said, are you scared of him? He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, okay, I want you to sit on the bench and watch him pitch. See how fast that ball is going. And they're watching him pitch. And I go back and check on him. They're like, he's not throwing very hard. I know. But you got distracted by looking at how big he was. You're right now, stand at the plate, hit the ball. Don't worry about the crowd. Don't worry about the size of the pitcher. Just hit the ball. Guys, right now, we are so caught up in looking at everything else but the ball. You know what the ball is? Jesus. You look at him. We're looking everywhere else for our help. We're looking everywhere else. And I'm saying, I'm speaking to the church right now. I cannot control everything going on there. I can't control anything going on here, really. But at least we have somewhat of a similar beliefs and value system we can rally around. We are looking at the big, scary pitcher on the mound who throws like a softy. And yet we are so intimidated and so removed and we've gotten caught up in so many things like, look at the ball. I told him, I said, guys, next time you don't worry about him. You don't worry about who's yelling over here or the fact there's an airplane flying over. Just look at the ball, son, because I know you can hit. But so many of us have gotten distracted and intimidated by the size of the pitching and everything else going around. We've forgotten how to hit. We've forgotten. 
and we've taken on the identity, I don't know if I'm a hitter at all. I don't know if I can hit. I don't know if even God made for me hitting. I'm trying to tell you, you can. You can. One voice, one man at 37 years old, I'm telling you, you can. You can fix your eyes on him again. He can see you through the storm. And yes, and you need people like a coach to pull you aside and say, why are you scared? And not shame you for it. But then say, okay, let me help you. That's what a mentor does. A mentor says, where are you hurting? Where are you struggling? What do you got questions about? Let me help with that. I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ, but let me help you with some life things right now. Guys, we need it. We need it. So I want to invite the band up as we close this morning. I want to go and stand as we close today. Um, and the band's going to lead us through a song in just a moment, but I just got a really strong sense this morning. If you're here, if you're on the stream, just um, that there is something that God's wanting to tap into this morning. Um, because all of us have it. All of us have gaps. All of us have missing pieces. Whether you come from a healthy home or not. Um, I, I'm just letting you know we've all got the gaps. And God wants to invite us in again to allow Him to minister to those gaps, but then to invite people in. It, it, can't, it can't begin and end just with you and Jesus. It begins there, but then you've got to include others. You've got to let people in. And so I just felt like maybe the main place for us to allow the Lord to minister to our hearts this morning, that place is really the places of pain, specifically to do with authority. A coach, mom, dad, a church leader, a teacher, I don't know, an authority in your life that you be looked up to for a moment or for a while to lead and guide and help, but they let you down. Instead of believing in you, they shamed you. Instead of helping you, they just ignored you. Instead of encouraging you, they just yelled at you. I don't pretend to know the pain in this room. I know I've got some I had to deal with. But I think that Jesus is that solution. He's asking us to fix our eyes on Him again and say, Jesus, help with that place. I don't want to live isolated. I don't want to live with walls up. I want to let you in first. And I want to let someone else that knows you, I want to let them in too. That's what mentoring discipleship is all about. And I believe that because you really are made for it. Like you really are made for relationship, you are made for community, and you're made to where you need men and women of the Lord who have gone before you in age and in their walk with Christ to speak back into you. The last thing I'll share would just be this. It's like, it's like many of us are standing at the edge of a forest that's really thick. Oh, and it's hairy, and it's thick, and you're not sure, but you know you have to go through the forest. You've never gone through it. You're nervous. You're scared. You're not sure how long it is. You're not sure what's going to happen there. And you got two choices. Blaze a trail ahead by yourself, asking for no help. Or turn to the man who's gone through it 15 times. Hey, man, can you tell me about this forest a little bit? And that man's going to say, I'm not going to go through it for you, but I'll give you some guidance. I'll give you some tips. You never know when those tips may be. You know what? You think that forest is miles deep? 
It's only 50 yards deep. You think it's miles. You think that forest of mosquitoes in there? There's none in there. Or you may say, hey, there's snakes. Watch out. <laughs> you see, a mentor says, I know you're facing a challenge. Dating, job, school, parents are in hospice care, someone got COVID-19, there's racial realities and injustice happening. I know you've got this force that seems overwhelming and thick, but if you will reach out to someone to say, hey, I've been there and I've done that and I care about you, oh man, <laughs> they're, not gonna, they're not gonna clear the way for you. You still gotta walk through the fire, but they're gonna give you some guidance along the way. That's what this generation is missing. A need for mothers and fathers and Lord, amen? So I want to pray that God would open up your heart. You'd let Jesus in to minister to those places that only he can touch, really, to heal. And I'm acknowledging they're real. you got to let them in. <laughs> and then you got to forgive. And you got to try again. And for those that are over 30 in this house, which at Antioch, you're old for over 30. Sorry. I'm old. Um, I... I I need you to be those bull elephants and step in. Say, that's not how we do it. That's not how we treat women. That's not how we treat a job. That's not how we talk about people. That's not what we do. I need men and women of God to say, no, 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 no. That is not the way. And I need everyone who's under 30 to say, I need someone to speak into my life and call me out on things. Don't avoid it. You're going to have a lot more pain in life if you avoid the mentoring. The mentoring is there to help you. It's not easy, but it's there to help you. But you can't receive help unless you've dealt with the pain. Amen? So Jesus, I just ask right now, oh Lord, every heart in the room, help us. we got to deal with the pain and the hurt. We're inviting you in to minister right now. Holy Spirit, come and minister to our hearts in only the ways you know how to do. Let us let you in. You're knocking. Let it. We need to open the door and let you in. Help us to forgive. Help us to let go of bitterness and pain so that we can experience new life. So we can maybe listen again. Try again. To have someone help us, mentor us, walk us through something so we're better for it. We trust you, Jesus.